Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. Never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome into College Football Overtime. Some people call this the offseason. I don't know what the offseason is. It, it doesn't seem like the news just slowed down. Abe, I know we talked about it last time, but I said, oh, well, the coaching cycle seems to be coming to a close. And then we've Sean Elliott. And then we're like, all right, well, this has got to be the last one. And then another move comes out after that. So we're going to discuss all of that today. Um, it's a beautiful Monday morning. We are all right here, breaking all of the college football action down. We're going to talk about Del McGee coming to Georgia State, leaving the University of Georgia. We have new additions coming to the University of Georgia. Plus, we have the college football playoff talking all sorts of madness with expansion. We haven't even expanded the expansion that we had. Well, then we have the NCAA and whatever, what all this stuff's going on with Tennessee. But before we get into all of that, Abe Gordon, got to talk to you, man. How you doing? Yeah, we're hanging in there, man. Just, just staying up on Twitter, trying to follow all the news as it cycles through. Uh, like you said, I really did think at some point it would slow down. <laughs> Maybe at some point it will, but we certainly haven't reached it yet. But it is not this day. This day we continue our coaching carousel because Del McGee was hired at Georgia State. He becomes the fifth Georgia assistant assistant coach hired directly off of Coach Smart's staff and into the role of a head coach. He joins the ranks with Mel Tucker, Sam Pittman, Dan Lanning, and Fran Brown, who did it. This offseason, as he goes to uh, join Syracuse, Del McGee is going to Georgia State. Uh, it's been a very busy offseason. I want to start with the discussions with UGA before we kind of jump into what Del McGee is going to do at Georgia State, because I think both are very interesting conversations. The Bulldogs have been very busy this offseason. Uh, Fran Brown, like I mentioned, he leaves to go to, to coach at Syracuse. He's the head coach up there in New York. Will Muschamp, he moves into an off-field role. Dante Williams was hired to be the new defensive backs coach. Travaris Robinson comes in to take over Muschamp's role as co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach. Lots of activity, plus one that we're going to get into on the offensive side of the ball in just a minute with James Coley coming back to coach wide receivers. Um, Brian McClendon's gone. 
I mean, this has been a, a, a season, of, an off season of upheaval for Kirby Smart staff. Are, are you a little worried that they're going to lose some of that continuity? Because I don't think I am. No, no, I don't think so. I, I think this is um, part of the, the the perks, if you will, part part of the problem, however you want to term it. It's a good problem. Of being the best head coach in yeah. college football. And we see it in the NFL too. The offensive-minded head coach and the ones who succeed have a lot of guys picked off their staff to be head coaches elsewhere. It's no different in the college game, uh, whether it's on offense or defense. Uh, and look, you know, Nick Saban had his time where he had year after year a coordinator or position coach being plucked, and and now it's Kirby Smart's turn over the yeah. past couple of years. No different. Del McGee, though, is a very interesting coach uh, I mean this is a guy that maybe is had a different career path than so many of the other guys who are getting head coaching opportunities now I mean this is a guy that started as a position coach at the high school level he, he was a coach for seven eight years here in in Georgia at Carver Columbus uh yeah. before he got before he took his first steps into the the collegiate game i played uh, him in high school by the way not him specifically but i played carver columbus in high school they kicked the crap out of us so i will say yeah he had a he had a pretty good program he coached uh isaiah crowell over there at carver columbus that's a really good team that he's got over there beat for any of you people who know high georgia high school athletics uh buford high school was a is a stalwart a killer a juggernaut especially when they were down at the 2a level carver columbus was one of two programs ever to beat them in the regular season so He's a pretty good high school head coach, by the way, and he won a state championship there too. Go ahead. Yeah, so he he came up through the high school ranks and and uh, started at Auburn as an analyst, then worked his way. Yeah. Actually, did have one game of head coaching experience as an interim head coach in a bowl game, the Go Daddy Bowl, uh, a victory in 2015, uh, as he stepped into the uh, shoes there at Georgia Southern, yeah. but now certainly sliding across conference to Georgia State. Um, you look. Would he be the man that they ultimately settle on at a different timeline? Who knows? Uh, but they played with the timeline they have. And by all respects, everyone who knows Del McGee, everyone that I've heard from, talked to, seen tweets of, incredibly complimentary uh, mm. of Dell as a coach. And so I do look forward to see, you know, we've talked about this through the earlier aspects of the coaching cycle. He is not playing with a bare cupboard here. Sean Elliott has done a good job to build this program. He's picking it up from where it is, and, and yes, he hopes to take it to those next levels, but uh, he is not picking up a completely bare roster, and so it'll be very interesting to see how quickly he can get things up and running. Obviously, we talked about it last week when it was announced that Sean Elliott was leaving. Yeah. Spring game, spring practice, you know, what are the reinstitutions there and the timeline there because uh, they made this hire very quickly. Uh, it seems to be a very positive momentum hire. And I look forward to seeing uh, what he can do. He's going to be introduced uh, at a Monday press conference and then uh, potentially joining us on 92.9 The Game later that day. So look forward to chatting with him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's he's a damn good coach, man. Let me tell you what. I mean, um, look, I'm a Georgia Southern grad. I was in college when he was coaching at Georgia Southern. And he he was really good. And there were a lot of people, and I could speak from experience because I was around a lot of the people who were having these conversations down at Georgia Southern. When he was named interim head coach after uh, after the vacancy was left, look, a lot of people wanted, wanted him to be the head coach. A lot of people did. And he ended up not getting offered the job. He, he leaves to go coach with Kirby Smart. And 
I think that was a good thing for his career, uh, ultimately, because he's he went and coached for the best coach in the SEC, or currently the best coach in the SEC, and he could continue to build up his resume. And, and look, the resume's strong. Since he joined UGA in 2016, he's produced six running backs who were drafted. Um, he recruits all positions. It's not just running backs that he recruits, but many of them have been played up to the level of pro bowlers, Nick Chubb, James Cook, DeAndre Swift. I mean, these guys are really talented that he brought up. But he recruited a lot more than running backs. Like I said, he coached, he recruits defensive players, offensive linemen, wide receivers, because he builds connections and he loves players. Love him, they adore him. I, I've had the opportunity to meet him multiple times because I cover Georgia high school athletics for for our station, Sports Radio ninety two nine, the game in Atlanta, and he's often on the sidelines covering games or are going and scouting out players, and and, and I, you just go up and talk to him extremely personable guy players love him fans love him the coaches on the staff they all love him i think this is a slam dunk hire for georgia state he's a damn good recruiter he and and ironically even though georgia state in, exists within downtown atlanta i think they've recruited one georgia the metro atlanta player in the last like each year for the last three years that's almost unacceptable those are that's kind of unacceptable if you ask me, I mean, if you have to be real honest with it, well, Del McGee is going to change that very quickly. I think he is as good of a hire as Georgia State could have prayed for. He's 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 very well connected throughout Georgia. Um, I mean, he's a really good coach just in his own right. But ultimately, it comes down to recruiting. In this day and age, recruiting is paramount. And I think Del McGee does it better than just about anybody else in the state of Georgia. But you also mentioned the fact the Georgia State's a pretty good program in its own right. I mean, Sean Elliott did a great job building that program up to where it is right now. They, the four bowl wins in the last six or seven years and change. Uh, they went seven and six last year, and Sean Elliott was a good coach. But I think Del McGee can take it to that next level, just specifically with his connections in recruiting. And one little side note, I will say this. Austin McGee, he is uh, Del McGee's son. And he's going to be on the class of 2024. He's going to be coming up, and he's going to be able to coach his son at Georgia State. I don't know how much that had to do with it, if anything at all. It's a great opportunity for Del McGee, and he can continue his 20-plus-year coaching career within the state of Georgia. It's a slam-dunk hire, I'll say it again, for Georgia State. I'm really excited for Del McGee. Yeah, and the other thing, and look, I've been open and honest throughout the length of this podcast. It, 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 it is something that I think is fair to bring up. Georgia State, understands itself as a program. You are not bringing in Del McGee to win a national championship, but can he do what Sean Elliott has done and compete for the conference, potentially win the conference, and then we'll see where you end up. Is there a spot in the playoffs from there? Uh, but we're going to be realistic about what is success for Del McGee. I look forward to seeing him chase that down. Yep, and one very interesting thing, I'm going to pivot real quick. Uh, to something that you just texted me, Abe Gordon, UCLA is finalizing a two-year deal to make Eric Bieniemy the offensive coordinator for you for the Bruins. That's a crazy hire. Uh, of course, he's going to join uh, Deshaun Foster on the staff over there with the Bruins as they move into the Big Ten Conference. Uh, really quickly, of course, this is off-brand. Um, it's it's just off-topic, I guess. But let's let's kind of dive into this quickly. What are your thoughts with this? This is kind of just interesting. 
Yeah, it, it is interesting. It's certainly splashy. It, it makes you ask a lot of questions, um, but not necessarily in a bad way. Uh, I, you know, we've heard the comments in regards to Eric Bieniemy as a head coaching candidate. Maybe this is for him a, a different path towards proving himself um, capable uh, of what an NFL team would need to see, or potentially even a college team would need to see. But you are moving into a new conference. You have. Um, what I would argue is less than in terms of offensive talent on that team. Is Eric bien the sort of guy that can maximize that talent? Uh, I look, I know you had when you were in Kansas city, I know you had Patrick Mahomes, um, but I think he maximized the talent that they did have there on offense. Uh, and so it'll be very interesting to see what he can do with the pieces that they have there. And just look, the questions were, made about how he handled his players and his coaching tactics. I think it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out at the collegiate level, because um, even more so it's difficult to, you know, quote, relate to today's youth. So uh, it'll certainly be interesting to follow that. Um, But look, Eric Biennemi is a guy that has done it for a very long time and been very successful at the NFL. If he can do it for Foster at UCLA, um, that is a big a big boost for that program because there are and were and still will be a lot of questions about the UCLA Bruins moving into the Big Ten. It's just a very interesting move across the board. I mean, the, he has coaching experience at the college level. He was at, at Colorado 2011 and 2012. Objectively, was not very good. I'm not going to blame him. I'm not going to lay that at his feet. That was also a, more than a decade ago, uh, college football is, is different today than it was a week ago, much less more than a decade ago. But um, Colorado was also not exactly the, the, the pinnacle program of college football, but he, he does have some experience in the coaching range, uh, the college collegiate coaching ranks. I just think it's a very interesting hire uh, ultimately because maybe it'll be appealing to recruits. Maybe it'll be appealing to uh, these kids who, who think like, Oh, this is a guy who coached up, Patrick Mahomes and helped him do X, Y, and Z with his career. And I think that might be uh, a, a good talking point, I guess, for him. But And he's a good coach. He's a good coach. And and uh, we'll see what he does. His career has just been a very interesting one. Uh, I know a lot of people talk about it at the professional level, why he isn't a head coach. Well, now he's an offensive coordinator, and he's seemingly taken a downgrade. I don't know if that's a fair way to say that. but uh, He's technically unemployed, so... Technically, you know. he was unemployed. So I guess any anything else <laughs> yeah. unemployment is, is an upgrade. Um, but speaking of somebody who's taking a new opportunity, James Coley is coming back to the University of Georgia. He is replacing Brian McClendon, who went up a rank to coach Tampa, uh, at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Coley was briefly the wide receivers coach at South Carolina. The ink hadn't even dried, and now he's all of a sudden flipping course to the rival uh, down in Athens. Um I think this is an interesting hire, mostly because Coley was the offensive coordinator back in 2019, and a lot of fans were not happy with his performance. Uh, just in general, people were uh, displeased with the performance of Georgia back in 2019, back when they were under considered an underperforming team, a defense-first program. Uh, that changed, of course, when Todd Munkin came in and really flipped the college football world upside down because you know they won back-to-back national championships. Uh, but this is an offense, or the, the, specifically in the wide receiver room, that has to replace the likes of Lad McConkey and Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, 
but they do return like a Dylan Bell, a Dominic Love, and a Ra Ra Thomas. I think this could be one of the better wide receiver rooms in the SEC, even in college football in general. But I think the number one thing, the number one thing for James Coley and for the University of Georgia, he is one of the top recruiters in the country. He's elite at recruiting talent, especially in the South Florida region, especially in Miami. And that was a spot that he feasted on specifically that Miami spot. And there's a lot of talent coming out of there uh, from the Sunshine State. And I know that Kirby Smart is going to be happy to have him back. Yeah, just an incredible run from Coley at South Carolina. I, I mean, the stuff that he did there was wild. Um, <laughs> Hang the banner. Hang the banner. I'm looking at this from a different perspective, Garrett, and maybe you disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, we had a situation where Mike Bobo was on staff when Todd Munkin uh, was taken to the NFL. I do wonder if some of the thought process here by Kirby Smart, in addition to the things that you pointed out, wide receiver coach and excellent uh, recruiter, um, is this is a guy that has offensive coordinator experience and maybe you're just preparing for what we know is eventually coming. If Georgia's offense continues to look the way it has looked, Mike Bobo is going to be taking a promotion somewhere as well. So this also might be a hire to kind of set in stone um, that that path of, of, you know, next man up from the coaching perspective in the coaching ranks. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Kirby Smart. So, so it plays very intelligently for a couple of different reasons. But in the immediate, as you mentioned, the 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 plus recruiting, uh, dealing with what should be, as you said, a pretty loaded receiver room with a quarterback that you're ready to throw the ball with, which we haven't necessarily yeah. had at Georgia, um, and potentially uh, a step back from the production of the tight ends. Um, the receivers are going to be maybe a bigger, more important role than they were in previous years. So it's a perfect time to come back to Georgia uh, for a number of reasons for James Coley. Yeah, I think this is a slam dunk. I I love this hire. I mean, plus you're you're weakening a rival in South Carolina. Um, So that's always a fun thing to do if you're Georgia. But um, I I like the idea. I like that idea. The head head coach, excuse me, the offensive coordinator in waiting which is yeah. a very similar thing to what Mike Bobo was for uh, Todd Munkin. Exactly. Todd Munkin was here on yeah, staff. exactly. You get guys and you feed the pipeline because like I mentioned, when we talked about Del McGee, there's been a lot of a people with the Georgia staff and that's just the way it goes. You know, people want to, people look at the most successful program, which Georgia has been the best program in college football for the last three years. Um, I know they didn't win a national title last year, but the team that won a national title lost its head coach and its entire coaching staff uh, on top of maybe like 40 seniors, it seems like. But uh, ultimately, this has been the best program in college football for the last three years. People want a piece of that pie and people are going to come and try to take a slice out, you know, and and so you have to have that next person in the ranks who's able to take that spot and and kind of build the program. And so you don't lose that continuity that we discussed. and. I think Kirby Smart, I mean, he's the best coach in college football right now. I don't, I don't think that's too much of a, a stretch to say that. I think he knows what he's doing, and he's, he learned from the best coach in college football in Nick Saban. I mean, the guy was able to consistently replace coordinators year in and year out. I mean, uh, there are only two coaches who I think have done that consistently at a successful rate, and that's Kirby and that's Nick Saban. And if you're able to do that, that's how you sustain – and create or create and then succinctly sustain a dynasty 
And Georgia, I don't think is at a dynasty level yet. Uh, you got to win multiple championships with multiple quarterbacks, in my opinion, at the collegiate level. So we'll see if they can get to that level. But I, I think with uh, James Coley coming to, to coming to Athens, on top of just the coaching, it is the recruiting. And I'm going to say that one more time. James Cook, Tyson Campbell, Tyreek Stevenson, these are all five-star talents who brought their talents to Athens because of James Coley. But I, I think this is a great hire. I think it's a great hire. Yeah, I look forward to seeing uh, how it plays out because, like, like we've said, uh, I think the receivers are going to be more important this year for Georgia than in most of the years uh, yeah. in recent memory. So uh, he'll he'll be hands on with with what could make or break Georgia's season ultimately. Yeah, and I think he's going to do a pretty good job with that. I'm I'm very eager to see what goes on in Athens this year. But uh, one reason a lot of people are eager is because of the expansion of the college football playoff and. Speaking of the playoff, we have a little change, a, a change that a lot of people were pretty much expecting. I know you and I were expecting this change. The, the playoff committee, they approved, or I guess whoever, the college football player, whatever, they approved a five plus seven model. So you have five automatic bids, and then you have seven at large. So you have your top five conference champions, SEC, Big Ten, a, uh, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, uh, and then one group of five conference. Uh, I know that the, I guess the, the pack two didn't really win that battle, but the other seven are at large. And, and that just comes from whoever's around. And this is in place until 2025. So for next year, and then in the, the subsequent season, 2026 and beyond is to be determined. And I know we're going to get into that here in just a second, of course, but what are your thoughts here with this? It's just expected. I think this is the, the right decision. I'm not a fan of automatic bids just in general, but what say you, Abe? Yeah, I, I do like the automatic bid. Um, it, it, it it gives purpose because without the automatic bid, you obviously lose the incentive of your conference championship game. And, and so I think you had to hold on to sure. that. I know you and I have had a number of debates o- over the past 18 months or maybe even longer about um, conference championship games and the regular season is expanded, expanded playoff. Does it make it less important, more important, all that stuff. Sure. And, and, and so I do think if you're going to have the conference championship game, you have to have the automatic bid, or I agree with you that there would be no point. So I understand the automatic bid. The interesting thing to me here is the correlation with Notre Dame, because we can throw all the five and seven stuff out the window. Like we already knew this was going to happen. No one's surprised. We, we've gone through all the talking points in regards to the at-larges and all that. The thing here is that Notre Dame cannot be a top-four seed because they are not a member of a conference. They cannot technically win a conference championship. So they cannot be part of the five. That's separate of that, though. They cannot be one of the top-four seeds. They are automatically, no matter what they are, a a five-seed at best, which means they cannot have a first-round buy. Now, they might be hosting a home playoff game, uh, but they will not be eligible to receive that buy. So I found that very interesting. Um, you know, you know, just oh, a little fair. bit of extra power. I think I, I have no problem with it. I just didn't know yeah. what what the uh, overall um, decision would come down to in terms of how you would view Notre Dame. But um, even yeah, though they're I mean, not going to be one of the five replaced, auto bids, the, the home playoff game just replaces a conference championship game. And and ultimately, I think you'd rather be Notre Dame for the most part because you're playing. At the very least, like you're an undefeated, like you you play a perfect season. You're a top-ranked Notre Dame squad. You're really talented. You're like, great, good for you. Freeman got you in a great position. 
okay, so then you play as a five seed at home against a 12 seed. Poor you. Um, yeah, as, no, as I, I don't think it's, I don't think anyone's complaining. I just think it was a, another really good, like LSU team. Yeah. Like, no no one's complaining SEC, about it. I'd rather be Notre Dame in that situation. Personally, maybe, maybe you disagree. No, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. No one's complaining about it. I'm just saying it was interesting that that's the decision they came to that they would be just completely off the table for a top four yeah. seed. Yeah. They, they, they've built their bed by not joining conference. And so, uh, whether it's a positive or a negative in the long run, we're not sure yet, but yeah, they're, they're going to have to play by these rules because um, they want to stay independent and, and have at it. Yeah, we'll see what ends up happening with all of that. But the, the playoff committee does expand to the five plus seven. I think ultimately this was the expected decision. And Yeah, the five and seven model. And, and as we go forward again, this was not a surprise. This is exactly what we had expected it to be. And, and so we will move forward with the 12-team playoff and, and go from there. Now. We talk about the 12-team playoff and moving forward there, and ultimately where we could be headed is a 14-team playoff. And that news came out today that they're considering expanding already. I'm not in love with this, if we're going to be honest, Garrett, um, and I'll let you get your thoughts here in just a moment, but I'm not in love with the idea of expanding to a 14-team playoff or, or even building the plans to expand to it without ha really getting a feel and a sample size for how this 12-team playoff is going to work. To, to, to me, that's the biggest issue is just I, I want to see what it looks like. I, I want to see how it's organized. I want to see how this 14-team model, or excuse me, the 12-team model plays itself out before we talk about expanding to 14 teams. And it did bother me that that news came out um this week that they're already looking at expanding it i just you need the sample side like there's going to be issues we need to work through some of these things you need to see the good and the bad and figure it out before you really have a great idea what a model should be for expansion the biggest issue is this is just such a pure money move like when we went from the bcs to a 14 playoff i i could make a very easy argument that was for the betterment of the sport as we move from a 14 playoff to a 12 team playoff, I can now you can argue other ways as well, but I can argue that this is for the betterment of this sport. Um, but planning a 14 team playoff, already looking at expansion before we've actually taken the reins of a 12 team playoff, before we've actually seen how that works out, I cannot argue right now that that is for the betterment of the sport. The only argument I have right now is that they see a way to make more money. And that is what's most bothersome about these proposals or even the talks or rumors. Obviously it's not set in stone yet. That's what bothers me the most is it's just very clearly not being discussed because it's better for the sport. It's very clearly being discussed because it can make someone more money. And Abe, we, we've talked about this specifically going back to Tony Petiti and Greg Sankey and, and those guys, but a lot of these commissioners who are the people who are making a lot of these decisions and, uh, at least they have a a, lar a very loud voice in the room while these decisions are being made. At the end of the day, like these guys are responsible for their own individual silos within college football. And they have a unique responsibility, not only to the SEC or Big Ten specifically, but to all of college football. And that's how the college football playoff is as a whole. I, I mean, every decision that these folks make, every decision that they make, whether it's expansion or TV deals or anything else, 
all of that has ramifications across the sport. Everybody is impacted going all the way down to, to the group of five at the lowest level of college football division one athletics. And there's a tremendous impact and it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like there is that forward thinking person who is in charge because there's nobody in charge. It's a, it's a wild West. We talk about name, image, and likeness and everything else. We're going to get into that here in just a moment, but at the end of the day, there's nobody in charge. There's nobody in charge of the betterment of the sport. There's no Roger Goodell who's there. And of course, Roger Goodell is, is in place in the NFL specifically to protect the league and make the league money and make mm-hmm. the owners money. I understand that fact, but he's also there to protect the shield. His number one job is right. to protect the shield. There is nobody in place in college football right now to protect college football. Nobody's there. And, and I know we've heard coaches talk about it. Chip Kelly talked about it. Nick Saban's talked about it. Kirby Smart's talked about it. All of the major coaches have talked about it. There are differing opinions, but there's nobody in place to make the decisions. Who's having the dialogue? Because as it stands right now, there is no dialogue. It's just media members, not media members. I mean, like the the, the suits of media members who are the people who are making all of these big money decisions and the people who are pocketing the dollar bills that are coming into their pocket. You know, that's it. And that's it. That's the only reason we're having these 14 team team, the discussions. It's not because it's better for college football. It's because they're like, hey, what if we sold a couple of more games? What would, would that make us a little bit more money? You think so? Who, who's who's winning by this? The extra two teams who make the playoff? Is that really going to change anything? No, not really. It's just to make more money. And that's a shame. Yeah, and that's why I think there's been uh, more concern or blowback, pushback from, from those of us who have to discuss it. It is just because it is very clearly... Like I said, it's very clearly just a money grab, whereas the other the other decisions, ultimately, y- you could argue betterment of the sport. This one, yeah. um, it, there's only one side to this. There's only one yeah, side. I, and honestly, that's just where we are in college football and college athletics as a whole. And speaking of which, um, big decision that came out on Friday that I do want to briefly touch on just because it's so, so important to to where it is in college football I wanted this to be the lead story, but I, I wanted to start this discussion by actually talking about football and not just all this stuff, you know, but we have to discuss it. Tennessee wins this battle with NC, the NCAA in court. Uh, they have a, a temporary injunction where we, we had the Wild West in name, image, and likeness, and now it's it's even worse. Uh, <laughs> worse worse just for, for the continuity and, and understanding of the, where the sport is right now. And of course this comes on the, the heels of the Nico, um, the, the, the ramification, the punishments that were handed down by the NCAA because of um, illicit recruitment by, by Nico, the five-star quarterback for Tennessee. Um, he got to fly in a private jet, private jet. And he, and then that, all of that stuff was paid for by boosters. And then they got punished for it. They got a little bit more than a slap on the wrist. It was uh, some pretty serious penalties were going to be coming their way. And now the, the, the a federal judge has ruled that the NCAA can't enforce rules like this anymore. And now at this point, like if you thought that the NCAA had any grip on inducements or, or pay for play before this came out, that's vanished. Like it's gone. Like collectives can effectively hit the road and sit down with top prospects and say, Hey, what do you want? Because that's where we are in college athletics. The amateurism is dead. 
I don't, the NCAA, I, I'll stop at saying the NCAA is dead. I'm not going to say that after over a temporary injunction necessarily, but amateurism, I think, is certainly dead. And we're just moving into the 21st century, which I don't think anybody knows what we're going right now. Yeah, well, let me say this, Garrett. Th- 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 to me, this is not about Tennessee versus the NCAA and the future of college athletics and all. This is simply a massive legal misstep by the NCAA. And I don't think ultimately it's going to change what we get out of of the long run in this. But you're pretty much anything goes for the time being. Um, This is not a ruling in favor of Tennessee or against the NCAA. It's an injunction uh, of enforcement. And and so right now, um, it's worse than if the NCAA had done nothing and had not filed this lawsuit at all. Uh, they had taken all of the reins off. And, and all I would say is um, just a word of warning to both prospective student-athletes and to collectives. Um, while it is open season right now, while you can do essentially anything you want, while while there's a complete injunction on this stuff, just make sure you understand and read the contracts and the fine print because – Right now is a very dangerous time to be a student athlete. It's very easy legally to be taken advantage of. So uh, I would just uh, a world uh, a word of warning. Uh, find legal representation um, to 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 make sure that everything is is where it needs to be and should be moving forward. Because uh, at some point, one way or the other, the injunction will be removed, and you don't want to find yourself tied to something you don't want to be tied to. Yeah, it's there's a reason that athletes have 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 agents, people who represent them, who make these decisions. And it's dangerous for the collectives too. Both sides of this. It's dangerous for all parties. And yeah. I know Charlie Baker has called on on Congress to to enact some form of legislation to to protect every all parties because there are some there are some vultures out there who are going to come out and take advantage of this, and somebody's going to get hurt. Uh, financially, uh, publicly, and it's going to be kind of brutal at some point. And, and it's, it's like some people celebrate and, and look, I mean, the NCAA is in a, a very interesting predicament. It's the, it's the bed that they made, you know, and they got to go lay down in it. But um, ultimately the NCAA is the f- their future is uncertain and it feels like they're grasping at straws at this point. Uh, but they're they're not dead yet. I mean, we'll see what what actually ends up coming from this. And uh, it is, of course, a temporary injunction, so it's not finite. We don't know if this is the the, the final situation that's going to actually end up happening. Um, but the problem is, is we have an endless patchwork of state laws and court opinions that differ from state to state, and that's dangerous. And if we're trying to create a situation where there's parity in the sport, where there is uh, an even playing field that I, I don't know if there was ever an even playing field in college athletics in general, but it, it's just at that level where they're not even pretending anymore. And college athletics is, it, it's at a very interesting spot in its history. And I think we're going to look back at this as a, as a massive turning point. These last couple of years have just been massive in, in, in whatever the future of this sport holds. And, I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's going to be happening next, but I do know that the NCAA has has completely failed to get a, a, a handle on any of this. And I will call again, and I'm going to say it again. There, there needs to be leadership with college football, and I know that the SEC and the Big Ten 
have attempted to to set aside and go about, go out and make decisions on their own. But the NCAA has proven time and again that they're incapable of making these decisions. And I don't I don't think praying that Congress is going to help you is going to do much good. Yeah, co- Congress is has to do stuff legally. And that's why you get an injunction where they don't really grasp um, how big a deal taking regulation off the table, even for a short time being, is. Um, the, the issue you bring up with leadership is that the SEC and the Big Ten aren't really leadership either. Um, no. Maybe more so than what we have, sure, but ultimately for the wrong reasons. Uh, you need independent leadership. You, you need someone who does not benefit one way or the other leadership. Um, and, you know, obviously Nick Saban is the sort of guy that, that is, is looking to assist that, but, uh, right now, uh, unfortunately not being given that opportunity. Yeah. We'll see if that actually ends up happening, but I, I do know that we're at a crossroads. I know that we're in a situation where a lot of different things are going to be happening over the next couple of months. And we're going to keep you updated on all of that right here on the college football overtime podcast. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you're like, um, whatever, platform you're you're absorbing this content on whether it's youtube whether it's spotify apple drop us a rating tell us if we're doing okay and uh if you have something you want us to cover make sure you let us know but we're going to be keeping you company all off season long because the off season doesn't exist in college football as you can see based off of all the news that we're doing we just did 40 minutes right there of just random off season activity on a couple of topics so we're going to be doing that all off season long so make sure you keep it right here to college football overtime for Uh, My co-host, Abe Gordon, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again next week. Thanks.